Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Anne Shin, a documentary filmmaker and author of the novel The Last Exiles, which was published in 2021. She describes how the landscape of her childhood and family life was altered forever by her mom's tragic accident, and how this pivotal moment has fueled her professionally and personally. Please welcome Anne Shen. Welcome, Anne, to Phoenix Tales. I start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? Yeah. When I was nine years old, my mother had an accident. Uh, We used to have a mushroom farm. We lived on the West Coast and had a mushroom farm. And she had fallen from the second floor down to the first floor and had a head injury. And then she was in the hospital for a year. She was in a coma for 100 days. So she came out really profoundly changed and was in a wheelchair and didn't have full memory of her life previously as well. And it really changed my relationship with her. But also as I was growing up as a woman, it it just made me feel like I always kind of measured that point of when my mother had an accident, where she was in her life and where I was in my life. So she had her accident when when she was 36. Wow. So yeah, I feel, and that changed her life after that for sure. So I've always feel grateful that I'm able-bodied and healthy now at 53. But I have always kind of felt like, you know, I need to kind of live for myself and for my mother in some way. So can we go back to you were you said you were nine and you're still quite young. So can you sort of go back to the emotional impact of a the accident, but more importantly, to have her be in a coma for 100 days? Because I would imagine at nine, that's a hard thing to understand. Yes, it was. Um. When the accident happened, at first it was just a flurry and bewildering, and then she was in the hospital, and then she had to get a craniectomy. And so we understood that she had this brain surgery, it was all serious, and it was touch and go. I was just kind of in shock as a kid, as a nine-year-old, and I had my six-year-old brother and also a one-and-a-half-year-old younger brother, even younger. It was really a state of suspension. We were just waiting and waiting for my mother to get better and to wake up. And, you know, weeks went by and months went by and she wasn't waking up. But but the time that she did actually wake up from her coma, we'd gotten used to the notion that our mother had changed. And so it was a, a really um, strange experience. And, you know, her intellect was damaged. And, and she, you know, th- that there were all these things that had made her become someone different than the mother I'd known. And that is a loss that I was only able to process later on as I was in my teens and my 20s and 30s because, you know, my mother was still alive in all those years. It's just that, so it wasn't like we were mourning a death, 
But in, in other ways, I think I had to go through grieving the loss of a mother I had known as a child because she was no longer, you know, acting as a mother in the same way because her capabilities were hampered. So it was a complicated loss. It took me years and years to understand it. Yeah. And I would imagine that being nine and like you said, probably in a state of shock through probably the first year of the experience. And then on top of it, as the first child, I'm sure you felt a great sense of responsibility towards your younger siblings. Mm -hmm. And so how did this event also change the dynamic within your family with you and your father? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> like in many, many families, the eldest child has to take on a lot of responsibility. But in our family, we're of Korean background. You know, an eldest daughter particularly ends up taking a lot of responsibility. But with my mother ill, I ended up taking even more responsibility on. Luckily, we had relatives come from Korea to help out, like a cousin, an older cousin and also an aunt came. And they basically became like the maternal figures in our household. So I was grateful to have that. But in terms of like the, the core family dynamic, I felt responsible for my brothers. And it was hard for me to get to a point when I could leave the household because my father was traditional and he didn't believe, you know, a, a Korean girl should leave the household until she's got a ring on her finger. <laughs> you know, right. And so I'm uh, only learning all this stuff because I've been watching Korean dramas. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like a lot of immigrants, my father, when he left Korea, that mentality of, of how life should be, what family should be like, remained the same for all the years he lived in Canada. It, it was like this time capsule from Korea in the late 60s. That was his sense of how family should be, how we should have faith, and, you know, all that. And so, and what girls and boys should do growing up in a Korean family. I batted heads with my father a lot, butted heads with my father a lot growing up. And then you said something that struck me about it was only in your older years, perhaps starting in, you know, teen years and as you come into adulthood, that you fully grasped what you lost, that you you lost the ability to have a mother that aged with you. You got to know her as a woman as you became a woman, I think is probably the way I want to put it. So how did that impact your own understanding of being a woman? I'll always, uh, in some way, feel a bit of a lack in terms of the relationship with my mother. When I think about mother-daughter relationships, I feel that my relationship with my mother became flattened and became, you know, one-dimensional after her accident and was never really quite the relationship that it would have been if she hadn't had her accident. So she was always apologetic to us Ironically enough, that she had had her accident, she felt like, oh, she wanted to mother us properly, but she, she knew that she wasn't providing the mothering that she could. And of course, we were like, no, mom, we're so grateful that you're alive. We were grateful for that. But then again, there wasn't the emotional rapport. I didn't, all the watershed moments, first boyfriend or getting engaged and getting married, 
having my first child, like that's also another watershed moment where I just wanted to be able to share that with my mother. My mother knew my daughters. She wasn't able to kind of, you know, fully be engaged emotionally. So can you go back and paint a story of what her full capabilities were post-accident, just so that we have a sense of, you know, I heard that you you said she was in a wheelchair. So was she in a wheelchair for the rest of her life? I mean... Yeah. So she used to be a registered nurse. Like she had had received a scholarship and she was one of the... She was able to immigrate to Canada and, and then she would help with the family business as well as take nurse shifts and like sew my figure skating costumes for <laughs> the figure skating Christmas show. And, and she would do all these and cook and everything. She was a woman who would always be doing 101 things really well. And then after her accident, she was not able to walk. She didn't have great memory of her life before. And her affect, her emotional affect had been flattened, basically. She would laugh sometimes and sometimes she would cry. She had like a quarter of the personality that she had had before. And as a child and even as a young adult, I wasn't exactly sure what the ramifications of her head injury were, but I just knew that she didn't have the same personality and she was wheelchair bound. She spent most of her days exercising and alone in the household while, you know, we all went off to school and work and things like that. And so she was like an invalid in the house. I would imagine that that affected your dad profoundly, right? To have had a wife who was so engaged and such the nexus of the family life. And then all of a sudden he becomes full caretaker. So did you have any emotional feelings about like whether he stepped up and was able to do it or not? And I would imagine that that happens after, right? You're so young and just going through the motions. But in hindsight, were you able to process some of the emotional feelings of watching your dad in that situation? My dad had a very difficult go of it. I mean, kudos to him. He stayed in the relationship. Like he was 37 when it happened. He's the one who kept going to the hospital when the doctors wanted to pull the plug on my mother while she was in a coma. He insisted, no, we have to keep her alive. And slowly she actually came out of her coma. Like he's the one who. And he would exercise her and do rehab after she came out of the hospital. So he was very committed to her. But at the same time, he went through a crisis too, because, you know, he was only a man of 37. Then suddenly he's got an invalid partner who's not, she wasn't up to the same intellectual ability as she had been before either. And so for a time period, when I was in my teens, he ended up taking a job in New York. And then I was running the household with my younger brothers while he was away. And I hated the fact that he had left. I felt like he was abandoning us. But as an adult, I understand, like, he was going through a crisis. He was just trying to, is this the rest of my life? You know, being with this woman and how am I going to do with, you know, raise these kids and all that. I think he needed that time away. But when, when I was a teenager, I just felt like, the abandonment of him leaving us for a couple of years. But yeah. So I'm trying to imagine, A, you felt the sense of loss because you lost your mother at the age of nine and life as you knew it. And then you lost your dad when he left at 16. How did that impact you as an adult as you started to form relationships on your own and when you thought about your own future? 
we had a very comfortable life up until when my mother had her accident. They had their business. My father was also a real estate broker. My mother was working as a nurse. And so we had lessons up the wazoo. We took vacations and we had a nice home and all that. But then after her accident, everything went downhill. We didn't have the money that we had once had. So as an adult in my 20s and into my early 30s, I was always kind of concerned. Like I'd be end up on the streets. We never got close to that. But I think that was this kind of irrational fear that propelled me to always be like working at a good job and making money. In terms of relationships, I was always kind of combative or always fearing abandonment. And so some of those issues haunted me or just followed me into my into my 30s. And yeah. And then you said that you uh, your mother was present when your daughters came into the world. And I know that most of us who have some sort of trauma in our childhood or challenging relationships with our parents, that when you have a child or children offers you an opportunity sometimes to right wrongs of the past in a way. So given your experience of having lost your mother as you knew her at such a young age, did that inform you as a mother with your two daughters? Yeah, I cherish the time that I have with the girls. I love being with them and watching them through each of their watershed moments. I'd never had a mother to kind of walk me through those stages. I feel it's such a privilege to be able to be there for my daughters. And I find it really rewarding that way. So I really, I really enjoy having two girls. Has it made you in your personal life more fearful of making sure that you don't create that kind of trauma or stress in their lives? It has. Um, well, for one, like I used to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and when I was pregnant with my first, uh, I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to. I'm not going to hop on that motorcycle again. (laughs) So, but secondly, I think what I found more challenging to kind of be aware of is how I might not be present for my daughters. You know, I had a tendency towards workaholism, which I've been working on. And also I could, I didn't have to face the more difficult emotional like questions when I'm just channeling myself into my work. So I think I had developed a workaholic habit and that certainly extended into my adulthood. And so that has been something I had been working on, um, just being more mindful of how being married to the work isn't really healthy. And when you say that you buried yourself in work, was it partly to run for yourself the emotional unknown of being a mother to your child or children in those moments, meaning you had never seen your mother take that role with you. And so in a sense, you were having to make it up as you go along. And so did that bring up a lot of things and it was much easier to delve into work and not have to really confront those bigger questions? I mean, I think everything you're saying is true, but I wouldn't say that they're causal. There was a lot of times where I felt like, well, where's the roadmap here in terms of, well, if my daughter has this difficulty how should I deal with it or whatever? There were times when I felt like, yeah, I didn't have a roadmap, like a lot of first-time parents. But it wasn't because of that that I would delve into my work. I think the whole thing around my work was I found my self-worth and self-value in 
producing something, you know? And so whether it's a book or a film. And so my self-worth was driven by that. And I think that has to do with um, deeper wounds about, like, I didn't see myself reflected when I was younger as just a, you know, as just a person. But in terms of just me as an individual, um, as a young woman, I didn't feel my own intrinsic value uh, until much later in life. I mean, I think all of us can relate to that having to find our self-worth or more importantly, having to acknowledge our self-worth, right? And for many of us could take a full lifetime to get to that point. But do you think some of your need for that validation through the work was also because of seeing your mother so changed after the accident where her entire identity in a way was erased? Yes. A part of the motivation for me to kind of put so much into my work life was I felt like my mom was robbed of the latter part of her adulthood. And I felt that I had to somehow make up for it. Here I am, able-bodied at the age of 37. And what did I have to show for it? You know, I kind of did that uh, periodically, like at the age of turning 30, I'm like, okay, you know, my mom had done this, this, and this by the age of 30. What have I got to show for it? Or, and by the time, you know, when I was turning 40, I'm like, wow, I'm blessed to be able-bodied and healthy at this age. What am I going to do with this opportunity that was given to me, this healthy life that I have? So I created higher bars for a higher bar for me. And so how was the rest of her life? And is she still alive? She passed away uh, six years ago or seven, yeah, seven. She was always wheelchair bound and the parameters of her life closed in to basically the four walls of the house that she lived in. I mean, she went out to church with the family or, you know, we'd take her out to picnics and things like that. But in terms of what she thought about and how she spent her days, she wasn't engaged with the world. She didn't think about politics or culture or what's going on in the outside world. And and in that way, her world became very small. And then have you been able to, because I think about this a lot with my own relationship with my own mom and how much of what I complained about growing mm-hmm. up <laughs> right, yeah. was a result of her personality or m- more the, the culture, right, of being Korean and being immigrants. And like you said, immigrants is stuck in a certain period of time in Korean, right? Yeah. So have you What ever, is it with your mother? Sorry. Yeah. So it's only now that I understand that it's half and half. Like some of it was definitely her personality. And then things that I had thought was driven by her personality are in fact cultural. And part of me wishes that I, I wish I had known that when I was in my 20s, right? And just really angry with her, right? That that might have changed the trajectory of our relationship during, you know, early adulthood for sure. So have you had a chance to kind of think about that with your relationship with your mom and saying that you missed certain aspects, but then at the same time, do you think that what you are pining for would be possible given the fact that we grew up Korean? I've thought about it a lot. I mean, with my mother, it's complicated because of her brain injury. So it affected her 
mind and her intellectual capacity and her emotional capacity. And I think what happened for me internally was I couldn't even acknowledge my own needs as a kid and as a teen because I didn't feel like, you know, it was anything I wanted to bring up with my mother. So then I couldn't even acknowledge it within myself. And then it's just been a journey to acknowledge that those were needs that I had that weren't met through no fault of my mother's or anyone else's, but that I had to acknowledge that and able to kind of accept that part of me and develop a caring and loving kind of approach towards that emotional connection that I sought with my mom and that I could in turn channel with my daughters and my partner. So in a way, what you're describing is that you had to emotionally raise yourself. Yeah. And so the ramifications of that, I would imagine, are profound. Therefore, you had to kind of educate your own self and learn how to navigate the emotions of what all of that means on your own. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's kind of what I was asking is, you know, you're so colored by the fact that you lost your mother at nine as you knew her. And the things that you missed, you assumed that she would be there for you in those ways that you needed her to be. And I guess the question I'm asking is, do you think that that was possible, given the fact that we grew up in Korean households? Well, I don't think it would have been possible with my father, and it certainly wasn't possible, was not possible. I think that I could have had some conversations with my mom. For sure. Like, I probably wouldn't have talked about sex with her. Right. <laughs> I mean, my, even my own daughters are very, like, shy or, like, embarrassed about talking about, you know, issues around sex or liking a boy or a girl or whatever. A lot of what I did in my early 20s was, like, forge an identity for myself in this culture. I'm working, I'm having relationships, having sex. It was, like, in the parlance of my peers which is this North American lifestyle. And it was not something I could share with the rest of my family right away, for sure. You said something in the very beginning that really struck me, that you felt as though you needed to live for yourself, but also for your mom. And now, as through this discussion, you talked about how important having a career meant for you because you saw your mother's development in that part of her life completely stymied and, and changed, right? Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how that affected your career choices and sort of how did the career evolve over time? I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of us women were standing on the shoulders of other giant women <laughs> that went before us and that we feel and benefit from their legacy. So I feel that not only was I wanting to in some way live for my mother, but also for my grandmother on my mother's side, who was Korean. And they lived in Ulongdo, a small island in the South during the Japanese war and occupation. And she was this resourceful businesswoman. And I feel that I benefit from you know, the genes that I inherited, but also their spirit and their strength and their courage. And so I feel that is always kind of a guidance in my life. I feel the strength of my ancestors behind me and that I'm benefiting from that. And then in terms of my career, it's so interesting. I, you know, I, I work mainly with women. The company that I founded, it's a film company and it's women-led. It's mainly women. And, and I enjoy working with women of all ages. We've got everyone from the age of like 20 to, to 53. <laughs> so. 
it's great working together with other women. And I think that's something that I'll always want to do. And that's something that I'm so excited about the times that we live in, Juliana. Like, you know, we can network with other women and in ways that men are so used to doing already in the professional world that men had always been doing to network. And so I feel like one, not only are we standing on the shoulders of all the giant women who have gone before us, but we're also at a time where we can flourish in our pursuits and meet and network with other women too. Does your film company do is documentaries or do you do both uh, fiction and nonfiction? We do mainly nonfiction. So we've done some short fiction, uh, but we're doing documentary series and docs. And some of us projects we're developing, we see uh, have some fiction or scripted possibilities too. So we'll see if we end up going there. And then I know that you have a book coming out. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the book is called The Last Exiles and a hardcover is out and the paperback edition is coming out. March 29th. And uh, it's about a young couple in North Korea. The couple's name is Jin and Suja, and they have a promising future ahead of them. But because of a twist of fate, Jin has to escape the country. And Suja, who's from the upper middle class in Pyongyang, has to decide whether she will try to find him, like forsake her whole life and all her connections and try and find him, or whether she continues to live in a country where she realizes slowly is a complete sham. So it follows them through an escape journey that's 3,000 miles across Asia and into Southeast Asia. And it's called Last Exiles. It's with HarperCollins. It's a novel, but it's based on research I did as a filmmaker where I was embedded with North Korean defectors escaping from their country. And that I had done as research and work for a documentary that I, I directed. Nice. Looking back, and especially after your mother's death, what are your thoughts about now you have a real loss, like she's gone? Was that more challenging given your experience or less challenging? When my mother passed away, she was 76. And I guess it's still young for a woman in this day and age, but it was it's quite good for a person who's wheelchair bound. She had spent, you know, half her life in a wheelchair. She was ready to go and she died peacefully. And so in some ways, I mean, there was a lot of grief at the time of her death. I felt like she had been robbed <laughs> of the life that she could have led when she was 36 years old. But in other ways, I felt that, you know, she had lived to a ripe age and my father was good to her and she lived to see her grandkids and things. So I felt that there was a lot about her legacy that is going to be very fruitful. And I, I felt there was a sense of like, she was ready for her, her death. She accepted it and she was very calm about it. And that was also inspiring to me to just see her, her calm and her peace with her mortality, it was also inspiring. So yeah, in, I mean, there was a lot of grief, of course, at the time, but you know, on the whole, I feel that it was a life well-lived and a death well-faced. Well yeah. In spite of it all, that's a great place to end, Anne. 
So the last question I'm going to ask you is, is there a song that resonates with you or feels as though it was written for you? And can you tell us what the song is and why? Oh, sure. I love Arirang. <laughs> you know that song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that traditional Korean song. And it goes, Arirang, Arirang, Arariyo. And it goes on like that. And it says, my lover has left me, but may he travel 10 whatever miles and not be able to walk further because of foot injury or something so that he can't actually leave me. And it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting love song, but it's traditionally, um, it's like the Edelweiss of Korea. It was sung a lot when Korea was occupied by Japan and it embodies a sense of longing. So I think there's that, that song is a, a favorite of mine. What does Arirang actually mean just for the audience? It's the name of a Korean mountain pass. Ah, so it's when he's going to go past that mountain pass. And it's a, it's, a, it's a song of separation and lost love. And it's also, the, Arirang was a, the national symbol of Korea's past, but also entering into modern history. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales a show about women overcoming challenges and like the phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. The first Phoenix Tales live event to celebrate the Phoenix Tales community was held with great success March 1st in New York City. We would like to thank the following sponsors for their support of the event and the Phoenix Tales community. Dania Duke at Hilton San Diego Gas Lamp Quarters. Nancy Donahue of Keller Williams, New York. Melissa Ortiz of Prime Guide Partners. Studio 1040. Ellen Greenberg of Quick Culture. Patricia Ruiz of Moving Strength. Barrett Kirkaby of Body Mechanics. Yanti Amos, Lululemon Ambassador, and the Lululemon on East 61st Street in New York City. Thank you again for all your support. Please be on the lookout for next year's event, which will be held again in New York City. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.